You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. About their faith. It's a really easy way to get someone to come into, the, into your, your church environment and to have them sit in a group that's comfortable, that's safe, and they can ask a question without the fear of what's going to happen if I ask that question. Um, Oh, there's so many things I could talk about with Alpha. We've been doing it for a year. We, we, we do it every terms, uh, one, two, and three. Uh, we find every time it's a full group. Um, they can, w- there's different ways we do it. We have a meal in one of the groups. They turn up at night. They have a meal at 6.30. At 7 o'clock, they watch the half an hour video. Then they have some coffee. They have a, a discussion. And out of the series, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing people say, wow, that was awesome. One, can I do it again? Because it's, it's, Alpha is the fundamentals of Christianity. It's explaining who Jesus is, explaining why he died on the cross. It's explaining, is the Bible true? Is it relevant? That's the first one. And, and th- I mean, they're all great questions, right? I mean, who, who knows the, the facts and the history behind the actual Bible and how that was written? Um, all, those, all the questions were answered. And people, how's this church? At the end of it, they said, so can I get baptized? I mean, that's, that's what we're here to do. We're here to show them that this, this giant question mark actually has an answer to life, and his name's Jesus. And these guys are finding it out in Alpha in a safe environment. I mean, who doesn't love food, right? I love food. Sitting down, chatting, food, video. You don't have to do anything. You just got to be there and be there and support your friends. If I had any friend, and I tell you, I've got to be really careful uh, with what I sign my friends up to, because my friends are like major skeptics. They're like, Lee, what do you believe in? You know, the red telephone. Can you get on the red telephone and talk to your God? Because my God doesn't listen. I would sign up my friends and say, hey, come to this course. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with, the, with our church and what we're finding a little bit with our church is that uh, if, you, if you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus... Your life should be a question mark to them. You should be living a questionable life, right? Where they go, hey, Steve, you're different. John, you're different. John's brother, how are you? Goodness me, I'm sort of thinking, have I got, have I got like these right, like I'm seeing double here, like there's two Johns in the room, oh my goodness. If you have a friend that's seeing a question mark over your life, do Alpha with that friend, do Alpha with them, which means, church, it's a sacrifice. It's a, it's a, it's a major sacrifice. For, for me, when I did it for a term, with a guy in our church that said, Lee, like he was a Collingwood supporter, we prayed for him, and we said, okay, I'll, he goes, can, can, uh, can you do Alpha with me? And I knew Alpha was on a Wednesday night, and I know I lead a home group on a Wednesday night. So I was like, mm, gee, really? It means I've got to give up my home group to go sit with you in Alpha. For a split moment, I was like, that's inconvenient. You know what God did? He sort of got his big size 10 shoe and just went, Lee, what are you doing? This guy needs to find out more about me. So I sat with him. We said, I said to Shell, can you lead the group? I'm going to go to Alpha for eight weeks with this guy. And then probably a month later, he was standing in church getting baptized after Alpha, just saying, I get it. I get who Jesus is. I cannot push this enough, and I'm not doing it, Steve, because you're starting this afternoon, and I hope and I pray that Alpha's amazing, but it truly is an incredible way to have your friends get answers that they want in a safe, safe environment. Any questions about Alpha? 
No questions? Very good. I say that church attendance won't drive engagement, but engagement will drive church attendance. You want to see the pews here full of people understanding Jesus, we've got to go out and engage in community and sit with them. Get them into Alpha if, if that's the, the avenue for you to do it. But church attendance doesn't drive engagement. That's 80s mindset, used to happen once upon a time. People came to church. These days, people are going to cafes, surf clubs, beaches on a Sunday morning. They're not rocking in a church. But I can go out and meet them, question mark my life, Lee, why do you do this? Why do you pray for this? Why does your world seem a little bit different to mine? Engagement will actually drive church attendance. They'll turn up. And when they turn up as a church, as a family, they're walking into your house. What do you do when someone walks into my house? Do I ignore them? Nah. I say, can I get you a drink? Steve, can I get you a coffee? Welcome into my house. So good to have you here. And they're noticed. I promise you, church, that's the heart of Jesus. Hey, he went out, he met people. His disciples were, 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 were worried. They were fearful. But Jesus is like, go. Go and make disciples. The last thing he said, if you can't remember anything I did, anything that I said in the last three years, friends, he said, remember this, go and make disciples. And you know the disciples or the mates of Jesus, I look at them and I go, they were normal people. They had normal things going on in there. Well, they hung out with the Son of God, with Jesus, but we know that they had things going on in their world. In fact, in John uh, 14, it's, it's at a time in the life of Jesus' life or his walk on earth where it's coming to an end. And we see Jesus in John uh, chapter 14 with his mates, his close disciples. There's 12 of them in a room and they're sitting around the table. And in John uh, 14 chapter or verse 1, it's, it says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Six words that I reckon are super powerful. Full stop. Don't let your hearts be troubled. These are Jesus' closest friends and he's saying this to them. Why is that? Well, John 14 and John 13, if we took the number out of that chapter, we created numbers in the Bible. They weren't supposed to be there. It's one conversation. In fact, in John 14, it's the last what they call discourse that Jesus gave. There's four major teachings or discourses that you can find in the Gospels. You see, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is one of them. The Sermon on the Mount, if you know that story or the teaching of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Then you have Matthew 13, where we see Jesus teaching about what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like, Matthew chapter 13. And then the third uh, discourse or teaching that Jesus gave and it's recorded is in Matthew 24. It's also in Luke 21. And that's when Jesus is talking about the end times and that's written down too. But this one is different. John 14 is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus. It's also a private conversation. You see, Jesus' public ministry is done. It's finished. It's over. No one has access to Jesus now except his 12 disciples. So Jesus is sitting down with them, and I could imagine only as a good friend does, he knows what's coming, and he knows that his friends are in for a ride. 
So third, chapters 13, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 is all one conversation with Jesus. And we're now in chapter 13 when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's at the start of 14. In chapter 13, Jesus has just washed their feet. He then turns to the group around the table, the 12, and he says, hey, I'm going to dip this bread in some juice here. I'm going to hand it to someone. The person I'm going to hand it to is going to betray me. Imagine that table around the dinner like, oh, so that everyone's looking. It's not me. It's not me. You know the story, right? He dips it and he gives it to who? He gives it to Judas Iscariot. And he exits the building. Now there's 11. Seriously tense moment around that table he then says in chapter 13 guys by the way I'm going to leave you I'm about to go and where you go you can't follow me in fact he says in uh, verse 36 of chapter 13 Simon Peter asked him Lord where are you going Jesus replied where I'm going you cannot follow me but you will later one of their friends has just left the room. Jesus said, I'm about to leave you as well. And then he turns to Peter. Peter, the spokesman, the outspoken one, the leader of the pack. Jesus, what are you talking about? You can't go where you go. We're going to go as well. Jesus, we love you. Come on, guys. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. And Jesus turns to Peter and he goes, Peter, hold your horses. You're going to deny me three times. Nah, Jesus, I'm, that's not my heart. No, 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 no. You're going to deny me three times. That's in one chapter. That's one conversation. So you can kind of get at the start of uh, chapter 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There would have been some tension, some confusion, some what the heck is going on, Jesus? What are you saying? Where are you going? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do you know what I think about that line, don't let your hearts be troubled, and I think for us, for you and I, that sentence, that one sentence is so relevant to all of us. Setbacks, defeats sometimes, circumstances that are totally out of our control that we didn't see coming that causes us to have a troubled heart happens maybe it's happening at the moment in your world there's something that it's going on that nobody knows about but it's causing a troubled heart if we let that trouble creep in to our heart you know what's going to happen to that trouble it's going to take what Jesus calls the joy away from us the fruits of the spirit only by the Holy Spirit we have the fruits of the spirit which is love and joy the enemy wants nothing more friends to do in your life in your world than to show that trouble is your is your is your friend embrace trouble because trouble is going to mess you up it's going to take the joy away from you and if you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christian you love Jesus Jesus I love you I'm not going anywhere I love you I love you I love you I want you to think about one of the troubles that possibly you've had in your life or you're having in your life and that can also rob you of your faith if you let it 
like these 11 guys in the room. Jesus, we are on your side. Less than 24 hours from this conversation, we're going to see Jesus arrested, taken off, crucified. And his men flee. Peter's around a courtyard with a fire burning and people are going, oh, that's the guy that loves Jesus. Aren't you Jesus' friend? And Peter says, what? No, he's not. No, he's not. What? One minute he's around the table, you know, Jesus, you're amazing. Next minute he's denying him to a bunch of people. Trouble can creep in so quickly, can rob our joy, could also try to steal away our faith. I'm not sure if I share this story here. I have a friend who's an incredible singer, an incredible worship leader. Hey, this was amazing too today. I loved it. I didn't want it to stop. It was, it was amazing. And uh, he's got an incredible voice, was a worship leader in a church. Some things went down. And I, had a, uh, I caught up with him for a drink and I said, what's going on? He goes, Lee, I want to let you know I've denounced my faith. I no longer believe in God. Because of the troubles that came into his world from people. And he's now walked away from believing in God. My prayer, and I said to him, mate, you break my heart hearing that. But my prayer is that you can come back and understand the love of Jesus. You see, I think about trouble and I liken it to uh, the barnacles of a boat. If you've ever seen a boat being made before, they're a beautiful, beautiful thing. They're out of the water. They're on their stilts. They look amazing. My son and I love going to the boat show, walking around, checking out the boats and climbing in the boats. And, you know, and he goes, you know, the big sort of 70 footers, the ones that I can only dream about. And he goes, actually, Steve, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He goes, Dad, this is your room. And he goes, this is our room. And this is, this is where, you know, sisters are going to sleep. They look amazing out of water. But a boat's not made to be out of water, is it? You chuck a boat on the ground, start the motor and see what happens. It's not going to go very far. A boat's made to be in water. But if you know how boats work, the longer you leave them in water, the quicker they get these things on it. They're called barnacles. Barnacles on a boat, they're not friends. They don't go well together. In fact, the longer you leave a boat in water, the more barnacles they get. And the more barnacles they get, the slower the boat goes. And they get into the motor, they destroy the motor, they start to corrupt the entire boat. And I liken troubles to barnacles on a boat. Because Jesus has made you and he's made me, we know in his image, with incredible things to do in this world for him. But he's placed us in a world that is full of what church? It's full of troubles. I don't watch the news anymore because it's so depressing. There's so many things going on that aren't joyful, that are hurtful, that are stuff going on. The world is full of trouble. But Jesus has placed us in this world to be what the light to this world, right? Which means that we need to be really careful that we don't get barnacles stuck to us. You see, I can go to work in the morning, I can go to church as a pastor in the morning and, I, and I'm barnacle free and my boat hull, my body is, 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 is just all on fire for Jesus. And I can come home in the afternoon, barnacles all over me, I walk in sluggish and slow and my wife goes, how are you going? I go, oh, I'm all right. She's going, oh, gee, you look ugly. What's going on here? What's happened to you today? You got too many barnacles on you. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I actually let the world attach itself to me too much. People, we all have things going on, troubles in our world. It could be as simple as I didn't want that red light. I can let that attach it to me really easy, can't I, hun? Red light, I hate red lights. I've got to stop. 
And I look at a, at a boat and I go, the barnacles on the boat, they're not supposed to be there. And the only way you're going to get rid of barnacles on a boat, you've got to pull it out of the water. You've got to take it out. You've got to remove it from its environment. And then you've got to get a scraper or a high-pressure hose or both sometimes. And you've got to start scraping away the hull of the boat. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time. You've got to scrape, scrape, you've got to gurney it, you've got to spray, you've got to scrape, scrape. But eventually what's going to happen is the hull of that boat is going to get back to its original form. The things that were on it that were slowing it down are now removed. And that boat is made to be put back in the ocean. And it hums and it sings along the way it should have been from the very beginning. You see, church, we can get so wrapped up and messed up in this world and the busyness and the chaos of this world, I liken it to like a treadmill. It just keeps going, the world. You can choose to jump on there and it won't slow down. The world just keeps on going. We can do that or we can say, hey, hang on a second. I need to sit with my creator, the guy that made me. He knows how I work, how I operate. I've got to sit with him, which means we have to remove ourselves. I need to remove myself. My biggest weakness is slowing down. I just can't stand slowing. I just want to keep going forward and forward and forward. But I know that's a recipe for barnacles to start sticking to me. So I found a spot in the bush out there where I live. It's a log and I just pray there's no snakes in there when I sit on it all the time. But I remove myself and I go into this place where there is nothing around me except snakes and stuff. But God's got that under control. And I sit there and I sit with Jesus. And I pull out my phone and I read some scripture and I just try to stop my mind from thinking and stop my mind from doing and saying stuff and just try to pause and say, Jesus, I've got things on me at the moment that are slowing me down. Can you remove them? Can you take them away? And you know what he says? He says, I'd love to. I'd love to. In fact, the start of John 14, the very beginning of John 14, it says Jesus comforts his disciples. That's beautiful. Jesus is there to comfort his disciples. He's there to comfort you and me. And sometimes, some, sometimes he might say to us, he might go, hey, okay, Lee, okay, you want that, you want that removed? That's going to take a bit of scraping. That's actually been there for some time. This isn't going to come off. It's going to come off. But Lee, now I've got to put some elbow grease into this one. I've got to put some hard work to get this one. Are you sure you want to? If, okay. Well, let me remove it. And stay there, it's nearly gone. And he takes it away. He'll scrape it away. And he'll have you and he'll have me doing the things that he's created you to do. He puts us back on track. He puts us back on track, church. He then says... In my, he says, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, also trust in me. That's an interesting line. Because they have spent 
every moment with Jesus the last three years, but he still has to say, trust in God and also trust in me. They were there when Jesus turned water into wine and they were there when Jesus uh, healed the paralyzed man. They were there when he fed the 5,000, the, the men, but not including the women and children. They saw that incredible miracle happen. They were there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. They were there when he, when he, when he um, rubbed mud in the guy's eyes and he could see again. They were there through more than what was recorded, we know in John. So many more miracles, they were there with Jesus. But the very next set, sentence, Jesus had to say, trust in God, trust also in me. And we know, like I've said just before, they flee within 24 hours. They're gone. Their trust, which was so uh, evident in the room, was fleeting the next day. And I think as human beings, it's very easy to put our, our trust in things that we can see and smell and taste and touch and hear. It's so easy to do that. It is so difficult, church, and maybe you agree with me on this one or not, but I find it very difficult at times to put my trust and my hope in something that I can't see or smell or taste or touch, or most of the time, I can't hear. But I know he's there. But it's hard to put our trust. Church, it's hard to put your trust in God when he's asking you to move and do things different. But he promises to never leave or never forsake us. So I've got a question. I want to end on this church. The question, actually, there's two questions. One of them is going to require a double shot large latte in a cafe somewhere alone this week. A long double shot latte. First question is this What are you afraid of at the moment? What is creeping into your world that might be scaring the pants off you? Or at the very least, distracting you from what God's called you to do. You see, when fear is present, faith is absent. When fear creeps into your world, it's so loud, so consuming, that often our faith takes a backseat. It doesn't disappear, but fear is far more greater and evident in our world than faith is. And it's the opposite way. It should be the opposite way. What are you afraid of? We all have fears. We all have fears. My fear, what are my fears? And, and it'll creep in every now and then is my children. That my children don't get sidetracked as they grow up. That the question marks they have in life can be answered not just through the parents, but through the church they attend because the church is getting around them. Generational wisdom is imparting into them and saying, yeah, I used to be 12 too. You know what? I, I, I love paper aeroplanes. Throw the yeah, paper aeroplanes go. It's because the wind. You know who made the wind? God, God makes the wind. Isn't he amazing? And just seeing my children grow up knowing that they are loved and they follow God. And the fear is that they won't that they might get sidetracked. That's a fear of mine. 
I've got to hand that over to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just want to do and be what you've made me to be. I trust in you, God. I trust in you. I believe in you. So believe, the Greek for believe is to trust in, to rely on and to cling to. It's not just I believe that there's going to be surf down there today. That's like a maybe, maybe not, but I trust in Jesus. I rely on Jesus and I cling to Jesus no matter what. So the last question, friends, and this is the double shot latte question. What are you placing your trust in now? What are you placing your trust in? I'd imagine for many of us, our answer would be Jesus. I place my trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, I love Jesus. I place my trust in Jesus. Great, fantastic. I love that answer. So do I. But let me open up the closet a little bit and there's a little possible door behind that I trust in Jesus door and let me go through that door. Because most of the time, it's Jesus and that little cross should be a plus, sign should be over a bit more. It should be, maybe it's Jesus plus something. I place my trust in you, Jesus, Plus, my job, my security, plus my savings that I've worked so hard for, plus my wife. I trust in you, Jesus, plus my wife, because you've given me my wife, so I trust in her as well. After I spoke about this a while ago, my wife said, she goes, you know what, maybe I'll place my trust in you a bit as well. I was like, don't do that. It's crazy. It's a silly thought. But we do. Sometimes consciously, hey? Like, uh, like a bank account. I place my trust in it. I'm working hard. It's growing. I'm seeing it grow. I'm so excited. And sometimes it's unconscious or subconscious. It's, it's not really there, but we sort of do it anyway. Where are you placing your trust in? Because Jesus in chapter 14 Only a few verses down, he says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. In a pluralistic society, this is not a very loved message. Right? Surely, I'm a good person. I get to heaven. Do you love Jesus? Well, there's only one way to heaven, through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Friends, my a challenge and encouragement to you is this. As you, as you embark on a new uh, chapter, and Steve, it sounds like there's a new chapter starting here, which is fantastic. A service next week, everybody coming together, praising Jesus together. That's exciting. Remember that the enemy works against us, and he loves nothing more than to come in and to try and take that joy away by placing troubles in our path. It's, in, it's so encouraging to see this church clap that before and say, hey, we want to come together, unite as one church and celebrate Jesus together. Do that wholeheartedly, friends, trusting in Jesus that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And my other prayer is for you guys is this, that this is a game changer for you guys, that Alpha just isn't a course but it's, it's questions that become answers for people in your world, in your workplace, the person that's in your office, the one that always steals the sugar and never replaces it. 
that's for these people as well. It's for everybody. And my prayer is that Alpha is a game changer for you guys.